either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. I think we may have more new releases in the theater this week than we've had in a while. Yeah. But we've got a we've got a good group to talk about, and thanks for joining in. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. We'll start with the story of Fred Hampton, chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, and his fateful betrayal by FBI informant William O'Neill. This is Judas and the Black Messiah. You're looking at 18 months for the stolen car. Five years for impersonating a federal officer. Or you can go home. The Black Badges are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I will learn. These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder revolution. Holy cow. Yeah. You know, this is one we have been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for, and man, did it deliver. It really did. And one of the first things I, I thought of, I think you agreed when it was over, was that we would give Daniel Kaluuya the Oscar right now. Yeah, and he it's, not a, phenom- week, it's, it's not, not a week. It's not a week year. It is a great year. I mean, you know, there are some incredibly, incredibly impressive lead male performances, including Riz Ahmed and Gary Oldman, but Daniel Kaluuya, yeah. oh my. And then the, here's the other thing that I was thinking as I was watching it, was his range is epic. Mm. Because, you know, you really first got to know him as that kind of vulnerable hero and get out, and then when you watch Widows, and he's just this oh, terrifying so sociopath yeah and then the but this this is just just over the top brilliant this performance it is it is amazing he's packed on a little bit of weight you know he Mm -hmm. looks more of a of a hefty figure but uh you know the he's so commanding as fred hampton was in his speeches and his rallying crowds and then in more intimate scenes he's very tender and more and more vulnerable and touching and it's just a tremendous performance and he's joined as as the uh, informant uh william o'neill Lakeith Stansfield, yeah. who, of course, also was in Get Out and uh, is also so, so good in this. And it's a great story. Uh, it's right. It's a director and co-writer, Shaka King. And as you pointed out, it sort of has the feel a lot of the times as a, as a crime thriller and maybe a Scorsese type of thing. It's very exciting. It is. Based on a true story, obviously, of how this informant helped the FBI at the time investigate, track, and uh, and uh, eventually assassinate uh, Fred Hampton. Yeah, the story itself is riveting, as you would expect. But the film never for a second feels like a biopic. It really does feel like, you know, a late 60s, early 70s, citywide, gritty, urban crime film, the kind of thing. Yeah, like a mean streets, like something that Scorsese would put together, which is incredibly impressive when you think about the filmmaker doesn't really have, he has uh, a lot of uh, TV mm-hmm. experience, but not feature film experience. But you, you don't Note that here. I mean, it's a very confident, cinematic experience. So well put together. Great supporting cast. We've got to mention uh, playing the FBI agent that that ultimately turns uh, O'Neill to informant and then keeps on the case. Uh, His name was Roy Mitchell, played by Jesse Plemons, who's very good here. You know, he always is. He is, but he really shines here in a meteor part. Yeah. One of the things I really like about that performance, and I think that he and Stanfield really play off each other very well, is that... 
you get the sense he he doesn't deliver it like a villain. He delivers it like right. a person who's doing their job, who who maybe is struggling to to convince himself and others that this is the right thing to do. And you don't see it until it's clearly right. they've gone too far. Clearly yeah. they are villains, yeah. and it's easier for him to move forward as yeah. if that's and that's it makes the entire performance from the beginning, you know, in retrospect, chilling. Yeah. Uh, especially as the the part you see in the trailer, you, he shows up at a rally. Oh uh, yeah! Of course, no one knows who he is. He oh, just yeah. you know kind of dresses down, and then uh, Stansfield's character sees him in the crowd, and they just stare at each other. And yeah, it is chilling. Also features uh, Martin Sheen. He's got a small part as J. Edgar Hoover and Dominique Fishback, who's really good. You might have seen her in that Project Power thing right, with right. with uh, Jamie Fox earlier uh, a few months back. She is plays Deborah Johnson. A girlfriend of Fred Hampton, and she is very good as well. The entire ensemble is solid. Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely is. And I think that she's a great counterpoint because she is a devoted comrade, but mm-hmm. she's not blindly following. I right. mean, she's thinking through all of the nuances of all of this, and I think it was a great perspective to take. But also, Dominique Thorne, yeah. uh, who is just got bad acidness to burn <laughs> in this she movie. Does. She was so great. Yeah, it's... Obviously a very relevant story to today, so it's a great history lesson in that regard. A sad one, one that will make you angry for how it turned out, but it still has so many lessons that translate to today. And just a a well-told, incredibly well-acted story. Yeah, one of the things I think I, I most admire about the film is that King doesn't shy away from, doesn't water down the message, doesn't water down the right, message, you know? Right. it's It's a message that... Capitalism, it works because it keeps poor people fighting with other poor people mm-hmm. so that people in power retain power. And that's, and in the scenes where Daniel Kaluuya is at his most commanding, when Hampton is just speaking to his crowd, he just he's almost reaches through the screen and just grabs you by the throat. Oh, my God. Uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible performance and a very gripping film. It's on HBO Max and in theaters uh, starting this weekend called Judas and the Black Messiah. Well, let's shift gears completely. Life... <laughs> <laughs> Lifelong friends Barb and Star embark on the adventure of a lifetime when they decide to leave their small Midwestern town for the first time ever. This is Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. I'm Barb and this is Star. Roll number again, please, sir. 611. 611? Oh my, Barb! Oh my gosh, he's six eleven. Six eleven? We're in one twenty four. Quick, George, what's the name of their small Woodwester town? Their town is Soft Rock, Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't real, but it should be. It really should be. And Barb and Star, it's uh, Barb is Annie Mulo. And star is Kristen Wiig, and they are longtime friends. They co-wrote Bridesmaids together. Annie had a small part in Bridesmaids. Yeah. There's a woman on the plane who says, you were there. And, <laughs> <laughs> this is not as funny as Bridesmaids. Oh, no. What is? If you, it's, it's on a certain wavelength. And a sort of, it's one of those comedies that reminds me of Napoleon Dynamite, where people like us loved it, loved it, loved it. Other people think we are total idiots for thinking it's funny because... Humor is such a personal thing to what people find is funny. But if this is your wavelength, you will laugh. In some cases, you will laugh hard. Well, I think just test yourself with the trailer. If you if you laugh during the trailer, oh, you're going to dig this movie. And if you don't, 
then you're not. Yeah. Because the trailer is, as you might expect, some highlights of the film, and there are some stretches where you don't laugh, but it it's such a good-natured movie you know, it's making fun of, of a very specific type of people. It's making fun of my older sister and our next door neighbor, basically. But that's okay because it does it so lovingly and so well. And it, it's just such a ridiculous movie because as they go to this vacation paradise of Vista Del Mar, Florida, which caters to the older crowd <laughs> <laughs> that they proudly say, and get into this hotel, which is like Disney on Viagra, uh, then they're... they're kind of sucked into this plan by this evil genius, Austin Powers sort of thing, Dr. Evil, who's also played by Kristen Wiig, who wants to kill everyone on this island of Vista Del Mar by way of poisonous mosquitoes. You're like, what? Yeah, that's the plot, but it's so ridiculous, and the concept, they're so committed to this high concept that they just stay with it, and it ends up being very funny in places because it really feels like these are two characters that Wig and Mamulo have honed privately for years. You do get that sense. They're new characters to us, but they they have it down. They really do. And that's, I mean, everything that happens around Barb and Star is just fine. It's very much whatever. It's adorable. But the two of them, whether they're together or whether they are apart, (laughs) they are just, they are a riot. Yeah, because once they get there, their lifelong friendship is tested by the the handsome Irishman Edgar, played by Jamie Dornan. (laughs) And then another one wants to go and do activities like banana boating without the other one, so they're sneaking around and just fibbing to each other that they've never done. Oh, my! <laughs> and it, it is. It's totally good-natured, and uh, you know, it's a type of film that I think a lot of... I think it will end up, even though it is, it's a high-dollar rent right it now. Is, it's yeah. a $20. I have a feeling it'll hit a vibe that people are ready for. I, well, that's the thing, ready for. I mean, is, is there has there ever been a time where we just needed to find something else to look at on our TV screen <laughs> that could bring a little joy? And it's just so colorful and it's garish so and so silly and ridiculous and just doesn't care. And you will never, trust me, you will never hear anyone named Trish and, <laughs> and have that name register the same way again. <laughs> I mean, I can promise you that. And if your name is Trish, you Definitely want to see this oh, yeah. movie for sure. That bit had me just bawling. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, and that is out now on uh, Prime. Boy, here's one we've been waiting for for just about a year. This one follows a pious nurse who becomes dangerously obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient. This is St. Maud. It takes nothing special to mop up after the dying. You're prettier than the last one. But to save a soul, that's quite something. Bless Amanda's body and bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. When you pray, do you get a response? Oh, it's like he's physically in me. It's how he guides me. My little savior. Nothing worthwhile comes easily. This is life and death. On another level. What if I'm getting it all wrong? All the good girls go to hell. One of the things that this, that Maud says in the course of her regular day is never waste your pain. Which made me think of when we were kids, my five siblings and I, whenever we had any bit of suffering, right? Stone in your shoe, whatever it is, my mom would tell us, offer it up. Right. Offer it up to God as a penance. Offer it up. And I never knew anybody else who I never knew anybody else who said that. But she said it all the time. Mm-hmm. And and then the whole time I was watching this movie, I thought, 
Rose Glass has an old school Irish Catholic mom. That's all there is to it. <laughs> yeah, she's the uh, writer director here, and this is one this, we've been waiting on. This, as I said, for just about a year. Yep. We were going to have it live at one of our events, our live events here in Columbus, a year ago, and then of course we know what happened. So we've been really waiting for this one, and this is a slow burn. We talk about movies, sort of like comedies. What we just talked about are, are polarizing. Boy, so are horror movies, because just like humor, what scares people is so personal. And there is going to be a, a crowd who, who might view this and think, boy, not enough happens. A lot happens at the end. Yeah. But it is a slow burn to get there, and it is more of a psychological horror. And it is. A, and, a, and, of course, one steeped in Catholicism. Yeah, it's it's a character study, really, and there are just two main performances. Morphe Clark as Maud, and Jennifer Ellie as the uh, woman who is dying and is in her care. And both of these performances are are just nearly perfect. Yeah. You know, Ellie, uh, just the casual cruelty, yes. you know, out of boredom more than anything. Yep. It's breathtaking, but really it, it's Clark. And also the way Glass films her, because so many of the images, the idea of the agony and the ecstasy, yep. you know, the idea of, of sort of stigmata and the, you know, the faces. I mean, she's so often filmed framed like an image that you would see on a holy card or or you know a, a painting of a saint or in a stained glass it's eerie it's haunting and it's strangely beautiful mm-hmm. as is her performance great performance and it's a movie that reminded me of the witch in the way that it sort of shows how you can see someone's path to maybe radicalization yeah. through what they think they're being told and the life they're being told to live by their devotion. And uh, it's also a study because Maud, we're shown sketches of a very troubling past that Maud has mm-hmm. as a caregiver. But we're not really giving all, given all the details there. But uh, she's incredibly lonely, and there are weird things she does to try to reach out and have human connection, very unseemly things, uh, before it leads to this very, for this film, very eventful finale and featuring a final shot that I just love. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think that the film does a great job. Glass does a great job of towing that line between reality and fantasy or or, you know, madness and sort of is there something supernatural going on at the same time? I, I really think that this filmmaker knows exactly how to present the information in that way. Mm-hmm. So if you're a fan of horror films such as The Witch right. or, um, or even um, It Comes at Night, yeah. things like that, a little more slow burn, more psychological. This is not a, a mad killer running around uh, yeah, sta- it's not, stabbing people. It's not even like The Exorcist no, or something with no, it's no, really no. punctuated by. It's very intimate, it and it is a bit of a slow burn, a bit of a character study, but it's just beautiful. Yeah, we liked it a lot. It's on Epics. comes out on mm-hmm. Epics um, this, uh, this weekend. St. Maud. Here's one that's been talked about a lot lately, if you've been following all the different uh, award nominations. A Korean family starts a farm in 1980s Arkansas. This is Minari. We need to find water somewhere. If that soil ain't wet, we're going to lose a crop. Boy. I'm not pretty. I'm good looking. Steve 
Steve Yoon plays the patriarch in, in this film, written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung, taken, cribbed from his own childhood. Right, so right. It's, it's not as if it's autobiographical, but I mean, there's a lot of his own childhood that plays into this story. And I think that's one of the reasons that the story feels so authentic and organic. It's, um, you know, the family moves to the Midwest to start a farm, and it's a very difficult uh, time. They have a difficult time as a family and as farmers, and it's a tough time. And so there, there is a certain amount of suffering in basically every scene, and yet... There's so much more. There's beauty and happiness and joy and, and humor yeah, in humor. every scene as well. Especially with, there's a relationship between a grandmother and a grandson, a, a little kid. Uh, and that is where a lot of the humor comes in. And it's very, very sweet. As much of, as trials as this family has in trying to get this farm going and put roots down. Yeah, It's a movie that also had a little bit of a controversy in how it's being judged in the awards categories. Because it is in some foreign language, Korean, and then it's also in English. Yeah, the the main language is Korean in the film, but um, uh, there is some, some English is spoken, but it is an American film. Mm-hmm. The filmmaker is American. Right. It was written, shot, directed, filmed in America about a family and the American dream very specifically. So I think, you know, a lot of uh, the filmmaker and other people have pointed out things like it's a, it's a very similar balance of language is what you would have found in Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards won its awards, not in the foreign language category. Yeah. And so you, you, you got to wonder, I'm curious as to what has made you decide that this one is foreign language and that one is not. Well, especially when you remember that for the Oscars, they've just changed the category name to international instead of foreign language. Which may mean that this is not eligible right. for that because it is a national film. But you're right, because it's nominated for foreign language Golden Globe. Yeah, so that, that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I would think, just specifically because of that name change, it's a lot more clear that it should be it's not an international film. No. It's, it's, an, it's an American film. Anyway, back to the main point is it's very touching and very well acted. I think that the lead, Steve Yoon, is getting a lot of a lot of awards recognition. He's right wonderful. Now. He is wonderful. I mean, he's wonderful. And I love the, what I love about the film is that it's, it's very clear-eyed about the struggles of the, you know, quote, the American dream. But at the same time, it is optimistic. I mean, it's definitely not a cynical film by any by any stretch. I mean, it's just beautiful. And you'll recognize longtime character actor Will Patton, who's um, the neighbor, a very, very fundamentalist neighbor who helps them, tries to help them get this farm going. Definitely worth checking out. I think it's going to be going to continue to be on a lot of nomination lists for this year. And that is Minari, which is finally coming out in theaters now. Next is the debut as a feature, a movie director, for Robin Wright. It's a bereaved woman seeking out a new life off the grid in Wyoming. This is called Land. You know, one might wonder how someone like you came to be in this place. I'm not running from anyone. I'm not hiding. I'm here because I choose to be. If it's all right, I will teach you how to travel. And the fall to hunt, and then you won't see me anymore. Can we agree that you not bring any news of life elsewhere? Come tell me about your family. Have you thought about what you want your life to be now? What an impressive directorial feature. Really is. She has directed uh, one short film, mm-hmm. I think, and ten episodes of the House of Cards show mm-hmm. that was on. But now she moves right up to uh, feature films. And I was really impressed with her ability to 
speak visually yes. in, in this film. Really, to, to not just of the beautiful landscape in Wyoming. There's plenty of that, but also tell us things about her character mm-hmm. without any dialogue. Very impressive. Very impressive directing job. And of course, acting. We've known that about Robin Wright, but she plays a woman who has suffered an, an incredible loss of her husband and child, and she's tired. We've talked about this a lot, yeah. about movies, about grief. Yeah. She is tired of having the whole world expect her to get better. Yep. And she's done. Yeah, and because she, she not yeah. only does she not think she's going to, she's really in no hurry to get better. No. That's, this. Her grief is her closest connection exactly. to the people that she's lost. Exactly. And, she, and, she's, and, that's, and that's fine with her. And so she is moving. Get rid of everything. Only this, the things that she thinks she needs to move to this cabin in Wyoming. Even the local guy that sells her the place really advises her to at least keep a vehicle. She won't even do that. She is done. She wants nothing to do with anyone or anybody. She's going to make it there in Wyoming. But she's pretty much a city girl. And you know, this is not going to go well, especially when winter sets in. And She and does she a has good job pro- for she a does. while, she does. but I think she certainly underestimated the potential problems of a Wyoming winter. Yeah, she did, and it ends up being only the help of a passing hunter, played by Damian Bashir, who's also so good. He's always good. Who saves her life, and um, then she still wants nothing to do with him, but he makes her a deal that she, he will teach her skills she needs as far as hunting and fishing, Yeah, and then... She will never see him again. Mm-hmm. And that's the deal they make. Well, of course you know what's going to happen. They're going to form some sort of connection. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily go where you think it's no, going I to really go. No, I really appreciated that. Yeah, I thought that, you know, you're afraid that it's telegraphing what's going to happen. You're afraid that it's saying this is the cure for her, mm-hmm. for her sadness, this is the cure for her grief. But the truth is it was it's just too... Lost souls who are helping each other out, and they're forming a bond. But, but you, like you said, it's not going to go where you think it's going to go. And because he, his character has some baggage as well that you slowly get clues about. And just the way that she directs it, it's the, the pace is very, very good. And it's the, the way that, like I said, she's able to tell you things without telling you things. Mm-hmm. And that I, I wouldn't have maybe expected this of a first-time feature right. director. Mm-hmm. But, of course, she's been in a ton of movies, <laughs> and she has a lot of experience probably seeing what she thinks works and what doesn't. And it's a very, I think it's a very strong uh, debut uh, for as a, as a director for Robin Wright. And two strong performances here, Robin Wright and Damian Bashir in Land. And this one is out in theaters. We actually got to see it a couple of weeks ago. It debuted at Sundance. Yep which was uh, very nice to see, but it's coming out in theaters this weekend called Land. Another film based on a true story next. Mohamedou Salahi fights for freedom after being detained and imprisoned without charge by the U.S. government for years. It's the Mauritanian. Since when did we start locking people up without a trial in this country? That's a lot of case files. The prosecution won't show us the evidence they have against you. It's all redacted. You got a problem? Take it up with the government. I am innocent. He has been interrogated. He has been held against his will for six years without a single charge being laid against him. Where I'm from, in Mauritania, we know not to trust the police. But never did I believe that the United States of America would use fear and terror to control me. A couple of sleepless nights, that's all. I've never been part of a conspiracy, but I'm starting to think this is what it must feel like to be on the outside of me. You're ever thinking this. Either wear the jersey or get off the field. You need to tell me what happened to you. I can't defend you. Do you understand that? You asked me to set fire to this place, but I'm still sitting. My client, he's not a suspect. He's a witness. 
This is another one. We've got uh, two Golden Globe nominees in here already. So, you know, it's piqued your interest right off the bat. Oh, it's full of fantastic performances. Really the strongest thing about this movie, uh, the performances, the leads and all the supporting characters in the background. It's led by Tahar Rahim, who was in A Prophet. A Prophet? Oh, my God. So great. And The Past. It's also, also great. So very, very good. He uh, stars as Slahi, the Mauritanian, who was imprisoned for over 14 years in Guantanamo Bay and never, never charged. charged. And his case is picked up by a human rights activist attorney, Nancy Hollander, played by Jodie Foster. And then her. Also always great. Also always great. Her assistant, uh, Terry is played by Shailene Woodley, and they go up against the Marine lawyer trying to make sure Salahi is put to death, uh, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. So right there. I mean, yeah. you, you, can't really, you can't really find fault in that casting. No, they're fantastic. And it's, it's Kevin MacDonald is the director here. Mm-hmm. who was Last a, King of Scotland. Yeah, and he won a, um, an Oscar for the uh, one, day, one Day in September yep. a documentary years ago. So he's solid, and the film is solid. But, you know, we've seen films like this before there's been plenty and obviously it's a it's a very worthy subject this rough justice type of the the, the way that we learned that people were tr- treated in Guantanamo after 9/11 and then we learned through the uh, the Bush Cheney Rumsfeld doctrine of enhanced interrogation so uh, this is another film that deals with that and of course you're going to see there's some very unseemly and and very unsettling scenes that are hard to watch of this enhanced interrogation, these tactics that Slahi had to endure. And it's Torture. Ba- yeah, very much so. And it's based on his writings. He put out a book called The Guantanamo Diaries, and he kept a, a diary of what was going on this whole time. Uh, and it's based on that. And I think what separates this film with some of the others on the same theme is the tone sort of fluctuates between self-congratulations in knowing, that after all this time looking back and knowing how wrong it was, to outright apology and a, and, and a real heartfelt hindsight that it has in looking back. Not that that's bad. It just it leaves sort of, a, sort of unanswered questions, and it sort of feels a little bit uh, muddled as it has all these different characters, especially in, in case of the Marine uh, lawyer having his test of conscience really reflect on the country's conscience as a whole and mm-hmm. how we've come to judge this. And it's, of course, it's very timely, as you might say, the country's conscience is being voted on again as we speak yeah. uh, right now. So it's timely in that way to remind us that it's not only what we do as a country, it's what we don't do mm-hmm. and it's what we won't do mm-hmm. uh, that, that makes us who we are and what we are. So it's a solid film. I think it's a little messy, a little unwieldy, but boy, this cast never has a false note anywhere in it. And it's uh, the Mauritanian and that is out now in theaters. Well, it's Valentine's Day weekend, so how about a romance? Somewhere along the mid-19th century American East Coast frontier, two neighboring couples battle hardship and isolation, witnessed by a splendid yet testing landscape, challenging them both physically and psychologically. It's the world to come. When the day is done, my mind turns to her, and I think, why are we to be separated? I don't feel I have a wife. I have certain expectations, and you have certain duties. We shall sing like birds in a cage. We haven't seen you for days. Have you been ill? Do you know what memory it is that I most cherish? It's of your turning to me with that smile once you realized that you were loved. This is a swooning romance. Swooning. 
And with, with another one that just features great performances. So good. There's you, you really again you you cannot complain about this cast. You know the in the lead is is Catherine Watterson, who's really always always very good. And Vanessa Kirby having a hell of a year. She is having a hell of a year. Just off pieces of a woman. Right. Fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Then, Casey Affleck and Christopher Abbott, who, again, I mean, yeah. all four of them are so talented, and they, they do play neighboring couples. Very, very different. Uh, Affleck and Watterson are people who you just have the sense have been together a very long time. They make a very efficient team. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of color. Uh, you know, just uh, not a lot of talking. Not a lot of passion. There's uh, ledgers. Each of them keeps their own ledger. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what you realize is that about a year ago, they lost their daughter. And mm-hmm. it's hard to know what the house was like before that. But since then, you get the feeling that this is this efficiency is how they move forward and just survive. Right. And then a, a very colorful couple moves in up the road. They're renting. And uh, he is kind of a brute, honestly. But he's got a lot of personality, talks a lot, says things he shouldn't say. You think maybe he's a dick. But you don't spend a lot of time with her, but him, but she, Tally. And it's, it's, and that Vanessa is Vanessa Kirby. Kirby. Mm-hmm. And the way that the filmmaker films her, she's just dewy and rose colored and just vibrant and alive and so beautiful. And that's for a very good reason. Very to good film reason. Her that way, yes. yes, it's a very good reason. And very, very quickly. And it's so interesting, too, the way Watterson portrays this because you get the sense that. She didn't even know this was possible. Yeah. She, she, like, you, you get the sense from her eyes. She's like, has any woman ever been in love with a woman? Is this the first time this has happened? Mm-hmm. She can't figure it out, but she's more than willing to go with it because it's the first time she's felt alive, perhaps ever. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. And the way Waterston blossoms in the scenes with Kirby is just gorgeous to look at. Uh, it's a beautiful movie, top to bottom. I mean, the the way the wilderness is shot, the way the film is put together. And it has some some, you know, really effective things to say about women and how, you know, within a society where suffering is just expected, you can just steal joy as you get the chance. The director is Mona Fastvold, which uh, I don't don't think I know anything that she's done, but it reminded me of a movie, and you brought this up as well, probably not many people saw, a horror movie called The Wind. Yes. Uh, this is not a horror movie. No, but not the, at all. But the setup sort of reminded me of that. Yeah, about just uh, about the, the the confines in which women on the prairie find themselves. The outcome is quite different in these two movies, but but it does. I mean, how reliant you are on the partner living inside your house with you for your well-being and for their well-being, yeah. And it delivers quite a punch when it comes to that as well. And this is out in theater now called The World to Come. How about a romance for the YAs, the young adults? This is about two teens who live the same day repeatedly, enabling them to make the map of tiny perfect things. Most of life is just junk. And then there's these moments and all the randomness turns into something perfect. That is disturbingly inspirational. What if we found them all? All the perfect things, we could collect them. Like partners? Oh, yeah. I tell you a secret. With you, I don't have to pretend. <laughs> what is this? Oh, I dropped it. He made a map of us. You know how I love the YA. You like this though. I like this better than a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is based on a short story, and uh, the author Lev Grossman. Um, wrote the script as well. Another Groundhog Day movie, mm-hmm. and much like uh, Palm Springs from last year, they just say that right away. Right. We're all thinking it, right? So <laughs> just yes, address it. It's just about Groundhog Day, and you jump right in as soon as you meet uh, the uh, boy 
he is just living another of the days that he always live lives. Mark, and then he meets Margaret, played by Catherine Newton, who is the current girl. the current teen it girl. Yeah, and she's very good. She is. She's always good. Yeah, even though she just turned twenty four, I think this week she looks like a high school kid. Mm-hmm. And she, yeah, the boy Mark is played by Kyle Allen. They're they're good together, and so Mark obviously is is smitten, but she kind of keeps him in the friend zone. Although they both try to figure out a way to navigate this time loop. And they definitely have fun with it, too. Uh, And then he thinks maybe that he can find a way out. She's not sure. She wants to find a way out. You can kind of guess why, but I'm not going to go there. But uh, it's it's another one of those YA movies where the kids, even though they're in high school, they speak with the world wisdom of adults. They have these already have learned these lessons that they probably wouldn't know about the world around them and it's a time loop movie that has similar theme of stop and appreciate the people while you can and the little moments the tiny perfect things that make up really the joy in life but it's a it handles it a lot more deftly than a lot of these ya's that just want to uh, preach at you how special you are these (laughs) kids are special too because of their situation but it handles it much much better in, in a way that uh, doesn't feel so pandering to what kids want to hear. Mm-hmm. This is actually a lot more entertaining about it. And for fleshing out a short story into feature length, I think there's a pretty good job of not feeling like there's a lot of filler here. Right. You know, they do have fun with the time loop and uh, the possible way to get out of it. And, of course, you can probably figure whether they're going to be together at the end or not. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil anything there, but you can probably guess. But, yeah, it's a lot better. I think the young adult crowd is really going to like it. And if you're a parent or an adult who who has to sit through it, you're not going to feel pandered to or that your kids are being pandered to. And it's pretty entertaining. The Map of Tiny Perfect Things, and it is out on Prime. Boy, here's one that has us, especially you, written all over it. A struggling filmmaker realizes that the skill set to make a movie is the same to commit the perfect murder. This is I Blame Society. I just can't sit back and wait for permission from some guy to make a movie. You know, nobody wants you to make a movie as much as you want to make one yourself. Just make it happen. I would walk people through how I would commit the perfect murder. It's pretty clever, right? There are just real benefits to killing a bad person. If you get a good movie out of it, that's an additional advantage. I'm so good at murdering, it just sucks that I can't get the credit for it. I'm living my best life. I enjoyed this one. It really did have to be written all over it. It is a, it's a very dark comedy. And and the, this uh, this young filmmaker, she has several scripts that are in with her manager, and she's waiting to hear... And 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 eventually he just lets her know that he really never read them. And when he finally read them, he doesn't think he can do anything with them because there aren't strong female leads. She doesn't <laughs> understand what he's talking about because they're all strong female leads. And but the one is about Israel. And maybe she doesn't realize that's kind of political. It's very funny the way. And then she gets she gets to sit in on a pitch session with these other young men who are she admires what they're doing and everything is great. And really what they want her to do as a director, is help them with the pitch deck for the movie another friend of theirs, young white guy, mm-hmm. wrote, because their movie does have a strong female lead, and hers don't. And what does that mean? <laughs> well, she's not really doing anything much with hers, where theirs is about intersexuality, intersectionality, intersectionality, and also 
the lead is likable. <laughs> and I got to tell you that I think the number one thing, I've said this before, if a, fil- if a film is brave enough to have a female lead who isn't likable, it gets an extra star. Um, and if she remains unlikable at the very end, star and a half. Because, because nobody does that. Young adult. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> we can have unlikable male leads in every single movie. They're just cool. But, we, you know, nobody can bear an unlikable female lead. And so the way this movie turns out on itself, let alone the very, very clever plot, which is to say that she begins by just theorizing whether or not she could commit the perfect crime. Yeah. And then she just creates a documentary. And then she just <laughs> proves to these guys that, I mean, she just turns, uh, you know, the whole film industry, this paradigm that, you know, that that we're making films by and about women well, not by them and not really about them and not really for them, but they're going to have strong female leads. I mean, it's really funny. It's very biting. It's an entertaining beginning to end. And it's uh, co-writer, director, and star Jillian Wallace Horvat. So we might want to keep an eye on her and what she's got. But out on VOD this week, we had a lot of fun with I Blame Society. And unfortunately, we did not save the best for last. A contractor and his wife moved to Malibu to flip his mother's beach house and are terrorized by the deranged homeless lady living under the house, Paradise Cove. You can always put up no trespassing signs. Does that work? Uh, It depends on who you are, but Bree is different. What's the wife of big Hollywood producer doing living under a house? See, there's crazy, there's Malibu crazy, then there's Bree. Stay the hell away from us. You can't count on anyone in this town. How crazy. The good news is that every other movie that we talked about today is is either a, a modest recommendation or a strong recommendation. And so we get to the one just garbage for this week. This movie is so bad. It reminded me of like, it should have been a Lifetime yeah. movie. One of those where uh, it's just formulaic and stupid and pandering and Cheerleader lurid. call girl. Exactly. Just like that. Um, except that I think it's too dumb even for that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like every scene, every scene exists independently. It's as if the whole cast and crew and filmmaker forgot what happened in the previous scene it's as dumb as it can be the characters are as dumb as they can be and mainly it's the direction i'm not saying the writing is good it's not good but the director i don't think read the script oh my god that usually doesn't work out well. no it's so bad and that is on vod if you like it is a cheaper one just 5.99 for paradise cove hey let's check into the lobby Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby where we find Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, to hip us to all the latest uh, delays and rescheduled movies and uh, the whole studio release lowdown. So, Daniel, what is it this week? What you got? Well, Lionsgate will release their recently acquired indie horror film, The Toll, on March 30th. Hello. I think that was a uh, South by Southwest selection for last year, right before they canceled the fest. Amazon will premiere the Tom Clancy adaptation without remorse on April 30th, and that'll see Michael B. Jordan taking over the CIA operative role that uh, Willem Dafoe and Lee Schreiber have played in previous films. Hmm. That was a Paramount acquisition. Hopefully that'll turn out pretty well. That's right, because that was on the side of the bus in the Super Bowl ad, right, when they look out? Yes. Uh, and, yeah. Without remorse, right? Right, and also I have to say that is, that is a real upgrade in terms of of good-looking leads. <laughs> <laughs> the big delay so far is that Universal has yanked their rom-com Marry Me from 
its May 14th release, and they've pushed it all the way back to February 2022. Ooh, that's quite a and, that's quite a pushback. Yeah, it is. It's a J Lo Owen Wilson rom com. That's an odd uh, <laughs> odd pairing right there. But what's interesting about that is it's the first big release to bounce out of May. And there's still plenty more in there, including the latest Fast and Furious movie and, you know, Marvel's Black Widow. I mean, we've, we've already talked about in the past about how May is probably going to clear out. Yep. Maybe even June, July, and August as well. But Variety even had a story this morning about the fact that Black Widow and Fast 9 are both waiting to see who blinks first. <laughs> you know, who, who's going to move their movie first? Yep. Disney or Universal? And, of course, once they do that, then... You know, the new Saul movie is set for May. That's going to end up moving. Sure. There's a Mark Wahlberg superhero movie that I'm sure Hope is excited about. <laughs> That's probably going to end up moving. But don't you think the first clue about Fast 9 is that they didn't have a release date on the Super Bowl trailer? They showed a trailer during the Super Bowl, and they didn't have a release date attached to it. Yeah, that that was a big red flag when I watched the, that uh both the trailer and then the shorter TV spot as well. Instead of saying May 28th, it just said coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make a deal right now. You you go see Fast 9, and I'll I'll see the Wahlberg. All right. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> That'll work out fine. <laughs> the other two movies that are set for May are the Fox Leftover Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds and then the Cruella DeVille prequel. Now, the Free Guy movie, they might be legally required to put that out in a theatrical run. I think that's why The Empty Man ended up actually coming out in theaters what was it, back in October yeah. instead of Disney just pawning it off on Hulu or Netflix or wherever. And I think Free Guys is a similar, similar situation. They can't just sell it off and they can't just dump it onto a streaming service. But Gorilla smells like a movie that's probably going to end up going to Disney Plus if they keep having to uh, push it back further and further. Sure. Sure. Yep. I look forward to that one, actually. It's one of my favorite Disney Emma villains. Stone. Yeah. And I love Emma Stone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. All right, Daniel Baldwin, you can find him at the Schlocketeer for all the latest studio news. We appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate being here. Boy, we got a big one coming next week. Speaking of award nominations, Nomadland finally comes out. Also, I Care A Lot. Shook. Truth to Power. Test Pattern. And Alice Fades Away. And whatever else might uh, fade in. Usually... <laughs> Usually there's a few, so we'll see. Until then, let us know what you thought about any of the movies this week. Boy, some good stuff that mm-hmm. could spark some conversations. No doubt about that. You can always find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, or on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcasts, new one just out, by the way, called Fright Club. You can find all that at madwolf.com. So until next week, keep in touch if you can. Stay well. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Happy Valentine's Day. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>